0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
2: lesson is recorded in Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together they asked him, Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. We rise from the gospel.
0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Glory to the Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, carrying no money back, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into his streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to her, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this: that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Copernicum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace you, o Please be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy be to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the second message for our four-week stewardship uh, series of Stewards Living with Purpose. And today's theme is Be My Witnesses. And our test is taken from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. Two by two to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, "The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest go your way behold i am sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves carry no money bag no knapsack no sandals and meet no one on the road You know, since our Lord walked on this earth uh, back then and even now, there have always been people who are attracted to Jesus. There are people who have always been curious about Jesus. There have been people who have wanted to show their honor and respect to Jesus. And there there are people who believe, indeed, we here today believe that Jesus is our Savior. But there have always been people unwilling to follow Jesus on his terms. Do you remember what his terms are? Here we us go a little bit before our gospel reading in Luke chapter 9 to Luke, uh, uh, our gospel reading in Luke chapter 10 to Luke chapter 9 to hear what th- those terms are. Jesus was saying to them all, the people who were trailing him in the crowd, Uh, In hearing him preach and do miracles, he says to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The statement by Jesus is scandalous. We as modern Christians, we do not know how scandalous the cross was in the first century. You know, to us, the cross here, prominently displayed, is a sign of peace and tranquility. It is not to us here today a statement of Roman brutality. You know, probably the best analogy that we could have for the cross today, the best image that would come up for someone in the first century would be the electric chair. So Christ says here, take your electric chair, take up your electric chair daily and follow me. And so you can imagine not everyone is willing to do that. You know, many uh, are curious, many are attracted, and many are enthralled by Jesus. And even those who believed in Jesus were not willing to abandon everything to follow him. What Jesus is calling for us to do here is to follow uh, his will and for us to die to ourselves. To confess Jesus as Lord and God, is to mean uh, to follow him wherever he wants and whatever the cost. And not everyone is willing to do that. In Luke chapter nine, we indeed hear about some disciples who want no more with Jesus because the stakes were too high. The price was more than what they wanted to pay. At the end of chapter nine, we see these three would-be disciples. Uh, and the first one is in verse 57. Uh, and said to Jesus, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. But then the Lord said to him, he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to uh, to lay his head. And what Jesus meant by that is is that following Jesus isn't going to be easy. Don't follow Jesus and expect to be comfortable. Uh, The Christian faith is not about self-fulfillment or self-actualization. That's the religion of this age. Uh, In reality, you're not guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed your health, wealth, or prosperity in following Jesus. But in fact, you're guaranteed this, that Christ will place a cross upon you. And so the first man disappears from the scene. Jesus said to another, follow me. The man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. It appears that this man's father had not yet died. He wanted to go home and get his affairs in order so he could get his father's inheritance and live the way he wanted to live for a while and at the same time follow Jesus. He too wasn't willing to pay the price. Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He too vanishes from Luke's gospel. Another said, I will follow you, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And perhaps he wanted to sort out all of his relationships uh, and, and draw everything that he needed for the future before he followed Jesus. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We never hear from this man again. Now here are these three men who are, who are classified as disciples and who were from one degree or another fascinated with Jesus and his message. They were drawn to him. They were attracted to who he was curious about him to the point where they believed in him and wanted to affirm that belief, but they were not willing to follow Jesus on his own terms. When the stakes became higher and higher, they were uh, unwilling to pay, and so disappeared into the background. On the other hand, there were some true disciples, and in fact, that's our chapter here, we read from chapter 10 here, verse 1, we meet 72 of them. So, that should give us encouragement. We have three failed disciples, but the harvest is plentiful. There are 72 of them that the Lord sent to prepare in the way of His coming. And these were those who were willing to deny themselves. These were those who were willing to take up their cross daily and follow Jesus. Uh, these are those who were the genuine disciples who were willing to abandon everything in their lives and to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and gladly do whatever he would ask them, gladly paying the price, even if it meant death. Genuine followers, and there are no excuses with the 72. They were eager and willing witnesses of Jesus. So among this large group of disciples, learners, students, followers, Jesus picked 72. He had already picked the 12, and now there are 72 more. The 12 are unique, the apostles, There's only 12 of them. Judas fell out. Matthias was added uh, in his place. And there's also then the apostle who was untimely born, our namesake of our institution, the apostle Paul. These are the 12 in addition to the 72 we hear today. Genuine followers sent out to be missionaries, the first kingdom missionaries. And we can see ourselves in this group. Like the apostles, they are... um, they are ordinary people. And they all seem to have extraordinary qualifications. We're reminded by that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. And Paul writes, he says, there are not many who are wise according to worldly standards, not many who are powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world what is weak in the world, what is loved and despised in the world, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The advance of the kingdom will never come about by human power. As John says in his Gospel that we are born, not of blood, nor by the law of flesh, nor for the will of man, but of God. So why 72? Why did Jesus choose 72? Luke doesn't tell us why. But out of all the people about the crowds who were there with Jesus as he moved down from Galilee, he chose 72. Some of Jesus' followers, they went back to their homes. They were, you know, just sort of just day trippers, the crowds just coming out and seeing Jesus, kind of seeing the spectacle of the miracles, uh, look into, have him be their uh, bread king. But they weren't committed. Jesus appointed uh, 72. 72 who were committed and answered is called. You know, for what? Luke writes, And Jesus sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he was about to go. So that's what? 36 pairs of them. They were advanced teams. They were scout brigades going in advance of the king to announce his coming arrival. And this was, at the time, a pretty traditional way for a king to do this. In ancient days, whenever a king would come to a town or a village, the herald go ahead of him, blowing horns and calling everybody out to the town square and making an announcement that the monarch was coming and arrived and that they would also proclaim whatever message the monarch was to give to them. Jesus, our king, was going to spend the remaining months of his life going from town to town, village to village, and wanted people to be prepared when he arrived. Here, the 72 are going out two by two into towns, giving the message that Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, and Savior of the world was coming. They then, the missionaries, have to proclaim the good news of salvation, the King, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And they're not unlike us. This is our responsibility as well. Except we're not talking about the Messiah who is coming, we're telling about the Messiah who is already coming. Come. In this ministry, of course, is the very same Messiah. We are among that force who is called to go out to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're among the force to go and make disciples of all nations. We're among those who go out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Therefore, the instruction and interaction Jesus had with the 72 is very helpful for us because we are called to that same purpose and to that same responsibility. We are witnesses of Christ to the world. And that's the reason why we're here. You know, we've been saved and we enjoy fellowship with with one another. And as good as that fellowship is here at St. Paul's, it isn't perfect. It's not satisfying to us It's not satisfying to God. No, we're safe to be obedient to God. And yet that obedience is not perfect. It is neither satisfying to us, nor is it satisfying to God. We're safe to give praise to the Lord. And yet that praise is not perfect. It's not satisfying to us, and it's not satisfying to God. It is all stained with sin. You know, Luther said if it, was, if it was God's call for us to just be saved, that God would have come as soon as we were baptized and strangled our necks and killed us right then and there if the goal was just to be saved. So why does God leave us here? Because there's one thing that you'll never do in heaven, and that's witness for Jesus. The primary purpose of the church then is to reach the world with the gospel. That's why we're here. We are, as it were, the extension of those Anonymous 72. You know, we can't be apostles as witnesses. The apostles were all men, but there's no gender distinction among witnesses of Jesus. The apostles were all preachers. They were called to preach, but witnesses for Jesus simply give testimony of the coming Christ. And we're all in this group of the Anonymous 72. We're sent to proclaim the coming of the King. Now, if we're going to do witnessing, we got to have to start with our motives. The first necessary motive that we have to have is compassion. The basis of all effective witnessing is compassion. It isn't training, it's compassion. It is a deep and profound sympathy for those uh, who are who are in the kingdom of darkness? Who do not know the light of our Lord? The the condition of the unconverted. You know the Greek word that that, that is used for the compassion of Jesus is splashektai. It is splashektai uh, is the Greek word. It it really it literally means a serious gut wrenching. Literally, a, that Jesus's spleen is erupting with. Compassion over the loss—it is what moved Jesus's heart. In Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty-six, and the, the following verses, tell of Jesus commissioning his disciples. But Matthew adds, "When Jesus saw the crowds, he had spasmodic—he had that gut-wrenching compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd." And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is huge. It's huge. Yet the workers are few. Everywhere the Lord went in his ministry, he was moved by that swastatai, by his compassion. The Lord moved. There is ministry literally overcome with that spleen-wrenching compassion for them. So this is where witnessing begins. You understand how serious this is. How can you be content to do nothing? How can you be content to sit idly but high? The souls of our brothers and sisters are at stake. How can we not answer the call? The second essential motive is that of prayer. The Lord says, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into his harvest. We pray to the Lord that he would raise up more missionaries and more church workers, that he would send out more and more so that more may be saved. But how often do we do this? How often are you on your knees pleading, God, send more people? You can't get on your knees and beseech the Lord to raise up more messengers without having a conscience strongly influencing you that you are the answer to your own prayer. The third attitude is urgency. Jesus said, go, I am sending you. You can say, well, wait a minute, how were they trained? Do we first have to have some sort of training before we go out and witness? Now, the thing is, is that training can help, indeed. And, but the thing about training is that it can only make us more confident, but it's not the source and power of our witnessing. And we have our program that we have hosted here on numerous occasions. The Everyone has witnessed Bible study and seminars. And you know, I invite the congregation to use these resources. They are freely available on the LCMS website. And this is, But the point of the resource is, not to, is, is to give us confidence in proclaiming God's word, but it does not even substitute for God's word. We, we ought to be confident with that message because brothers and sisters, we have the mess, the best message out there. We have the message of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Jesus. And the message doesn't get better than that. And the, and the and everyone is with this program can help us learn and engage in ways with our neighbors and give them God's life-giving truth and to do so confidently, but but training programs are not end-all, be-all witnessing. The thing is that we already have all the tools we have for witnessing, even without training programs. And that tool is God's Word. We ought to use that tool, God's Word, confidently, boldly, and urgently. That is because it all comes from the fact that you have a story to tell, you have a king to proclaim, so don't shrink from your duty because you don't have a specific training. The Lord just collects those who have denied themselves, taken up their crosses, and followed him. They are genuine and true believers. They are entered into his kingdom, and that's enough. Jesus said, go your way and tell them I'm coming. The mission is immediate. It is urgent. It is urgent. If you are a Christian, start today in your ministry of evangelism. It is urgent. Attitudes, compassion, prayer, urgency, and now number four, vigilance. Be on alert. I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Well, Jesus is saying he says he says I'm sending you out to the wolf pack. I just want to let you know that right. He's sending you out there right. It doesn't sound like a really good recruiting speech, does it? I mean, if you're recruiting laborers, right? If you wanted to figure out how to wait and get people to sign up for evangelism, that wouldn't be it, right? Uh, But this is the honesty of our Lord Jesus. He never lowered the standard. He said, well, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, and with all of that, I'm also sending you out to the wolf pack, right? Jesus told the disciples what would happen to them, that they would be martyred and you have no strength in and of yourself. So pray to the Lord that your eyes be kept open. Be aware. Be vigilant. There's nothing wrong with being careful. There's nothing wrong with being thoughtful. There's nothing wrong with making wise choices, and there's nothing wrong with avoiding unnecessary persecution and hostility. But brothers and sisters, be prepared in your witness to be hated by all, just as our Lord was hated by all. This is the kind of call that is the greatest commitment possible, to take up your cross. Witnessing requires effective compassion, prayer, urgency, vigilance, and one more thing, trust. Jesus says, trust me. Because if you're going out like a lamb among the wolves, if you're going to face a huge harvest with harvest few laborers, if you realize the urgency of all of this, uh, you're going to sense that you don't have the resources. and That's okay. Trust in me, because I'm going to provide everything for the ministry. Look at verse 4. carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. This is the same kind of commitment Jesus gave to the 12 in Luke chapter 9. Take for your journey no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have uh, two tunics. Why? Why was this necessary? Are we supposed to run around like, uh, like homeless, bouncing out and hand out handout? hand out? Well, what about eating, we ask? Jesus answers, I'm going to take care of that. Well, we counter, hey, where am I going to sleep? Jesus assures again, don't worry about that. I'm in control. What I'm asking from you is that you go out empty-handed in absolute trust. Like the 72, we're sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves, but Jesus says that we are to trust Him for protection and that He will equip us and trust Him uh, to cause growth when we plant and water. Like the 72, the crosses we bear point to our Lord's cross on Calvary. They point to the all-atoning sacrifice for sins won by Christ dying and resurrection. He rose on the third day triumphant over sin and death. And brothers and sisters, this is the greatest message we can share with our neighbors, with our loved ones, with our community. It's is the greatest message that we have. And we are called to be witnesses of that message. And being a witness is not optional. As Christ says in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in every moment of our lives. May we witness with compassion, prayer, urgency, vigilance, and trust. And may we hear on the the last day, well done, good and faithful servants. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep our hearts and minds to the one true faith of the life everlasting. Amen.